Nebraska at Colorado is currently the most bet college football game, according to DraftKings. And for all football games, including college football in the NFL, Nebraska at Colorado is the second most betted game, only behind the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Detroit Lions on Thursday night. So this game has the attention of the entire world of college football. And the narrative for this game is as such, in a few short phrases. Primetime is booming, and Nebraska is the same old Nebraska. Both Matt Rule and Deion Sanders are trying to revive dead programs. And by dead, I mean dead. Nebraska is the worst Power 5 program in the past half a decade when it comes to reaching a bowl game. That's not a joke either. Nebraska has not reached a bowl game since 2016. The Cornhuskers last reached a New Year's Six Bowl when I was 14 years old. I am now 20, about to turn 21 this year. Do not disappoint in regards to postseason play and postseason eligibility. Please, Nebraska. You're an amazing program. You have the most loyal fans in the entire sport of college football, and I mean that seriously. Your fans deserve a better product, and Matt Rule is trying as hard as he can, along with his staff and offensive coordinator Marcus Satterfield and defensive coordinator Tony White. They're giving their best effort, and they're scheming and delivering as much as they can to try and put the Cornhuskers back on the map. It's been very hard since Nebraska left the Big 12 for the Big 10. They've only appeared in the Big 10 championship game once, which was a 70-31 drubbing against Brett Bielema's Wisconsin. In his final year and final game at Wisconsin, nonetheless, when the Badgers had nearly 500 rushing yards. And ever since that year, in 2012, Nebraska has not won 10 games. They won nine games in 2013, I think nine games again in 2014, and nine games again in 2016. But after that 2016 year, the Huskers have been five and seven or worse every single year. And after Mike Riley was hired and fired, Scott Frost was hired, and then he was fired too after four and a half seasons of trying to rebuild a program that was poorly recruited and that had one of the worst staffs in the Big Ten, Scott Frost couldn't get it done for a variety of reasons. And that was very sad for Nebraska, as he was the quarterback who led them to a co-national championship in 1997. However, there is hope. Nebraska did better than I anticipated against Minnesota. They did better than many anticipated them to do on the road against Minnesota. They nearly won that game, and Nebraska against the Minnesota Golden Gophers looked like the more Big Ten team. They had success on the ground. Their defense looked like the best defense since the Bo Pelini era, dare I say, and it was a hard test going on the road Thursday night against Minnesota, who has one of the stingiest most clutch defenses in teams in the Big Ten. And they have players like Tyler Newbin, Justin Wally. They have one of the better secondaries in the nation. And Minnesota has players at wide receiver like Daniel Jackson, Chris Altman-Bell, Corey Crooms, 
and then an offensive line that, despite having some struggles that Thursday night, I think is going to come closer to reloading rather than rebuilding after last year's departures. There is no shame for Nebraska in losing by three points on the road against a program that is more established than they are by almost half a decade. P.J. Fleck has been there since 2017, and for Matt Rule to come in in year one, having been away from the game of college football since 2019, before the transfer portal became popularized, before name, image, and likeness deals were even legal, to come back after the sport had changed that much and to put on that performance, that earned me even more respect for Matt Rule than I already had. And I already had respect for Matt Rule. And more importantly, that earned me respect for Nebraska's entire roster, especially at the lines of scrimmage and especially on defense. I underestimated their roster against Minnesota. Nebraska controlled the game for about a half, and the Gophers ended up winning by three, whereas I predicted the Gophers to win by multiple touchdowns. So I think the trajectory for Nebraska is in the positive. And for Colorado, obviously, their trajectory is in the positive, too. They went on the road, and they beat TCU. The narrative for Colorado, I think, is a little bit unfair to the sport, as in Colorado beat last year's runner-up national champions. Well, the answer to that is they didn't, because Max Duggan is no longer there. Um, Quinton Johnson is no longer there. Tay Barber is no longer there. And then there are several other players as well. DeMercado, the running back, is no longer there. And Keandre Miller, a 1,000-yard running back, is no longer there. And then defensively, I forget a lot of TCU's defenders' names, but I knew them when Michigan was playing them in the Fiesta Bowl. I knew them for a while in the summer. But as the months have passed and TCU's transformed into an entirely different team— Pardon me that I've forgotten some of TCU's defenders' names, but TCU was one of the worst teams in the Power Five and in all of FBS in returning production. They are essentially a brand new starting roster. They are. And they even lost their Broyles Award-winning offensive coordinator, Garrett Riley, to Clemson, where he had a trash showing in Game 1 against Duke, which I'll probably talk about later this week, not in the context of Duke necessarily, even though Duke deserves to be talked about, but Clemson performing this badly, Florida State and UNC impressing and doing better than expectations and proving a lot of people wrong, Clemson all of a sudden looks like, it looks like the Tigers could have a far worse record than anticipated, and their schedule now looks a lot tougher than I previously expected and most college football fans expected. Clemson could realistically go, I think, 8-5 and five or 9-4 and four this year and have their worst year since easily over a decade has gone by in the sport of college football. But Colorado coming out, going 1-0. Shadur Sanders looks like a Heisman quarterback. He could have easily been sacked for more than the four times he was brought down if he didn't have his father's athleticism, his clutch capability, and he has high football IQ too, knows how to set his feet, he is not fearful, he set his feet several times before throwing his defenders were coming right at him, knows what guys to target, um, he's, call it what it is, he's a good power five quarterback, a great 
a great Power 5 quarterback. I and many others had lots of questions about how he would transition from the FCS to the FBS, and he did a pretty good job. Granted, against a defense that could be one of the worst in America, but nonetheless, with how bad Colorado's offensive line is, with their own questions at tight end, and while Dylan Edwards is a great running back, I'd argue he's possibly a better catcher than runner, Shadur Sanders put that team on his back multiple times and won. And more importantly, Deion Sanders entered TCU and entered Amon G. Carter Stadium as a 20.5 to 21-point underdog and came out with a win. His team's on the right track. Travis Hunter looks like the freak athlete that we all knew he was coming out of that 2022 recruiting class. And these teams are going in the right direction. I know that looking at their win-loss record, looking at what the beat writers and what analysts say about these two teams, the directions that they're going in, that they're traveling in, may look different. But I think they're similar. I think that rule, he didn't get the win, and at the end of the day, wins and losses matter. But how you lose and how you win is also important. And in that regard... What Deion Sanders did against TCU and what Matt Rule did against Minnesota are more similar than what you would expect. If you want to see more college football content and also referencing back to that Clemson video earlier, if you want to see that, make sure to hit the notification bell and also subscribe to this channel so you can get notified when I post more college football content, Nebraska content, Colorado content. I cover mostly the Big Ten, but I also cover other college football teams as well in the sport at large. I am going to have a Week 2 Top 25 drop this week along with Big Ten Power Rankings too. And, of course, a plethora of prediction videos and some other, just some other general topics like the Clemson one I mentioned earlier. Also, comment your thoughts on this game down below and what your prediction is and who you think the MVP will be, and also your thoughts on the two programs moving forward, because Colorado's moving back to the Big 12 after a, let's see, about 12, 13-year exodus, just quickly thinking in my head since when they left in 2011. I think that's 12, 13, 14 years. And Nebraska's still in the Big 10, but the Big 10's adding four new members in Washington, Oregon, UCLA, and USC next season and nebraska has had a tough time garnering wins and garnering success in the big 10 so the future of these programs is not certain but from what we've seen in one week which we shill should not i was going to say shall not overreact to they look to be getting on the correct track they're running the race right Nebraska is 52nd in FPI, and they are 0-1 this season. Colorado is 71st in FPI, and they're 1-0 this season so far. When you look at FPI, I tend to think that it gets more accurate later in the season instead of earlier in the season. For example, right now, Oklahoma is 4th in FPI. I don't believe that whatsoever. I think that there's a better chance that Oklahoma loses to SMU this weekend, then they finish as a top four team at the end of the year. But that's just my opinion. Nebraska is the 39th most efficient team in the country, according to ESPN Analytics, 
with the 78th most efficient offense, the 26th most efficient defense, and the 21st most efficient special teams unit. Colorado, on the other hand, is 32nd overall in efficiency, 14th in offensive efficiency, 75th in defensive efficiency, and 92nd in special teams efficiency. So ESPN Analytics has these teams as similar. They would slightly lean Nebraska, and you see that in the fact that despite being on the road, they're given a 58.7% chance to win. Despite that, Colorado is favored by three and a half points. Three and a half points. Mind you, this line opened up, I believe, at minus eight and a half. Yeah, the the Huskers were an eight and a half point favorite, according to yardbarker.com. And it opened up there at the end of Saturday. The line swung to Nebraska, I think, minus one or minus two is essentially a pick And then a day or two later goes by, Colorado's favored by three. Now this Tuesday at the time of this recording, they're favored by three and a half. So the spread is growing, and it's growing rapidly in Colorado's direction. Much of the the people, the betters, people are looking at Colorado, and Colorado had a hot hand, they played their cards right, and Deion Sanders just laughed at Sonny Dykes. Whatever Joe Gillespie in that 3-3-5 defense brought, and even though Kendall Bryles and his offense scored 42 points, when it mattered most, Kendall Bryles couldn't make the play, or he couldn't scheme the play that was needed to be executed to gain a momentous lead or to put the game out of reach, and Chandler Morris couldn't execute at half the level that Shadur Sanders could. What Dion did against TCU was honestly nothing short of phenomenal. That's impressive to replace your entire roster, to have a new coaching staff, to be a 21-point underdog, to travel to an opposing stadium that by no means is like Indiana's or Duke's stadium. No hate to either of those programs, but are empty more often than not. TCU is a one of the more proud football programs, and over the past decade, one of the better football programs in the Big 12 and in the Power 5. And to travel on the road and beat them, and not just beat them, but have every counterpunch to what TCU did, that's impressive. It's very impressive. So Colorado is definitely on fire. They have the momentum. That's that's what we think. In theory, on paper, the Colorado Buffaloes have the greater amount of momentum, the heavier amount of momentum than the Cornhuskers do. And that is more likely than not the case, especially when you factor in how Nebraska lost to Minnesota. Nebraska led Minnesota 10-3, Minnesota goes on a 10 to nothing run, which includes two Nebraska turnovers, two fourth down conversions, one with a face mask on Nebraska's defense and the other on a blown coverage by Nebraska's secondary. And then the second turnover was an interception thrown by Jeff Sims. When Nebraska was driving down the field, they got into Minnesota territory and they were hoping to set up the game winning field goal. It was a crushing loss, a crushing loss for Nebraska. However, in spite of their gut-wrenching loss to the Minnesota Golden Gophers, the Nebraska Cornhuskers impressed me because they had more counterpunches to Minnesota than I expected them to. Number one, Nebraska finally had a defense that mattered for 
the first time in closer to 10 years than not. The Black Shirts held Minnesota to 13 points. They held Ethan Kaliak-Manis to having almost a 50% completion rate and averaging less than five yards per pass attempt. Specifically, they allowed him to have 4.5 yards per pass attempt, allowed only one passing touchdown late in the game. They also had an interception by Omar Brown, who had a breakout game. And the defense was able to hold Minnesota to 55 yards rushing. They were able to get pressure on Ethan Kaliak-Manis with three sacks against the Minnesota offensive line that looked great in pass blocking, but they were mediocre in run blocking. Number two, Nebraska's offensive line, despite the fact that I think they're still one of the worst in the Big Ten, and if they faced Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, or many other teams, their offensive line would be eaten alive by those defensive lines. Nonetheless, they showed more fight, physicality, and toughness than ever before. There are improvements finally being seen in the trenches, and that's good news. That means that Matt Rule, likely, we don't want to overreact here, but it seems that he made the right move in keeping Donovan Riola on the staff as the offensive line coach. Nebraska's center was rated as a top 100 center, according to Pro Football Focus. More specifically, I think he was rated inside of the top 80 or top 75, which is good. Ben Scott transferred over from transferred over from Arizona State to play center for the Nebraska Cornhuskers, and he had a decent to above-average game. Norden Newley and Ethan Piper, the guards, they had better games, in my opinion. The interior of the O-line, specifically, had a average to above-average performance. In total, tackle was weaker, and they had, I think, a average to below-average or bad performance. Turner Corcoran certainly having the worst performance compared to Bryce Benhart, in my opinion. But overall, the line showed improvement. And this leads to point number three, which is the run game. Nebraska's run game was impressive, especially from Jeff Sims, but Gabe Irvin Jr., and also Anthony Grant. I know people will remember him for fumbling the ball, but he had some nice runs. Along with Ramir Johnson, those four players totaled over 150 rushing yards. And I give them more credit for that than I do the offensive line. The offensive line helped, of course, but several false starts on the offensive line, and also the fact that these running backs and Jeff Sims are big-bodied, awesome athletes with great speed. They're Big Ten running backs, especially Anthony Grant and Gabe Irvin Jr. And Jeff Sims probably is the best running quarterback in the Big Ten. All of these things combined for a competent run game. And they rushed for over 150 yards on a Minnesota defense that over the past two seasons has been nothing short of near-elite or elite under defensive coordinator Joe Rossi. So, in their own way, Nebraska had counter punches. They were able to nearly plant a stake in Minnesota's field and say, 1-0, we proved you all wrong, in a certain way. After all, Minnesota was favored by around a touchdown, and Nebraska has had a history of jokes surrounding them in regards to close losses. And unfortunately, that continued against Minnesota. But I'm not someone who believes in curses. 
I'm just someone who believes that the best coaches get results over time, and they do well. And Scott Frost was not one of those great coaches. He was certainly not the best coach. Deion Sanders and Matt Rule, on the other hand, I think are bringing their programs in the right direction. I'm very excited to see how this game will go, who wins. I think that, much like ESPN's FPI, perhaps even more, this game is closer to 50-50 than being a dominant performance in favor of one side or the other. The game will be played in Folsom Field in Boulder, Colorado, and in 2019, which was the last time these two programs met, the game was also played in Folsom Field, where Mel Tucker, coaching against Scott Frost, won in overtime. Because of, if you guessed special teams, you're correct. Nebraska missed a field goal. Colorado made the field goal in overtime. And Nebraska also conveniently led at halftime. So a typical Scott Frost loss, but... Nebraska has a chance to avenge that here. And I think in terms of roster, and also in terms of staff, the Cornhuskers have an advantage. It's not a massive advantage. It's not a, like, Ohio State over Indiana or Michigan over East Carolina type of advantage. But it's an advantage nonetheless, and you have to take that as a head coach and take that as a fan base. Nebraska, I think, with Matt Rule... They have the more proven head coach in the FBS. I think that him and Deion Sanders currently, after their week one performances, I would grade them as similar head coaches. My staff ranking has less to do with head coaches and and specifically more to do with the coordinators. In my mind, Charles Kelly is a defensive coordinator and also Sean Lewis as offensive coordinator are great coordinators. Marcus Satterfield... He had the worse performance than Sean Lewis, but Tony White had the much better performance than Charles Kelly. I think you can go either way with staff. I picked Nebraska because I think that Matt Rule is a more proven head coach. More importantly, I think that Tony White, what he did with that 3-3-5, bringing that over and having immediate success with a defense that was gutted and was, let's be honest, poverty last year that was the most one of the more impressive coordinator performances of week one was tony white straight up and you could say something similar with sean lewis and colorado and he drew up a perfect game plan certainly but i would give more credit to shadur sanders and to the playmakers that Deion sanders recruited rather than Sean Lewis's scheme, because without Shadur Sanders and without Travis Hunter, Colorado doesn't win that game, period. Nebraska, under Tony White and his defense, they had players that were true freshmen in the rotation. They had Miles Farmer suspended from the team and transferring out before the season, Miles Farmer being a contributor. They had some new players and Omar Brown at secondary, at linebacker Luke Reimer and Nick Henrich have had questions for the past two seasons over their level of play, especially in stopping the run, and a defensive line that was gutted as Caleb Tanner, Garrett Nelson, and Ochon Mathis left, and then they were switching to a three-man front, and it, it all to a certain degree to me looked kind of fishy in a certain sense, at least for the first year. I thought that the Huskers would have to build 
on defense and learn the new scheme. And Tony White, great teacher of the game, also knows how to scheme in his players. I think he's the most impressive coordinator right now out of out of all four of them. And with Dion and Matt Rule being relatively equal head coaches, in my mind currently the slight edge for staff goes to Nebraska. For quarterback, wide receiver, and defensive back, Colorado has the edge. Jeff Sims looked like... There's not even a term to describe Jeff Sims' passing ability in comparison to Shadur Sanders. We don't need to go over that for long, so I'm just going to go over their passing numbers. Jeff Sims, 11 of 19 for 114 yards, a touchdown, and three picks. Shadur Sanders, 38 of 47 for 5, 10, and four touchdowns. Now, Jeff Sims also has nearly 100 yards on the ground. Shadur Sanders does not have the same dual threat ability. And also, Jeff Sims faced one of the best secondaries in college football, in my mind, with Tyler Newbin and Justin Wally. Meanwhile, Shadur Sanders faced a secondary that last year had very suspect moments against Georgia especially, and also Michigan, because when J.J. McCarthy wasn't throwing picks, he was throwing touchdown bombs over that secondary. They then lost everyone have new players outside of maybe a corner or two. I know they returned at least one starting defensive back, and the defense was just total garbage. So Jeff Sims and Shadur Sanders, their ability and how good they are as quarterbacks is probably closer than the stats indicate just because Sims faced the much better defense. Sanders has the greater wide receiver core to support him, but I'm giving Shadur Sanders a a lot of benefit of the doubt in comparison to Jeff Sims because he got pressure. He got sacked four times, more times than Jeff Sims did. And despite facing that pressure, he was able to stand in the pocket or scramble out of the pocket and set his feet and make plays to either wide open receivers or target guys, whether it was Jimmy Horn Jr., Xavier Weaver, or Travis Hunter, and target them one-on-one while they were covered and put it in a place where only they could catch it as long as they themselves made a play on the ball. So easily for me, Colorado has an edge at quarterback. At wide receiver and defensive back, this mainly comes down to Travis Hunter, but also the fact that Isaiah Garcia Castaneda unfortunately tore his ACL, which means that Nebraska's wide receiver depth becomes even thinner. It looks like, according to rlads.com, and this was updated today at around noon, Alex Bullock is going to be a starting wide receiver, along with Billy Kemp IV. And Isaiah Garcia Castaneda, again, with that unfortunate season-ending injury, that's, that's hard for him. And I hope that he has a great rest of his season, that he recovers, and that he can have a big bounce-back year next year because he does have eligibility remaining. So I'm going to be cheering for him to recover and have a huge year and a, a great season and performance when he does come back, but he just needs to rest up for now. And the staff needs to find someone to fill in his role because he's a playmaker. You saw that last year against Northwestern, and you saw that just a little window of that against Minnesota, and that hurts to have him out. Colorado, meanwhile, has already four 100-yard receivers. Dylan Edwards is a running back, but Travis Hunter, Xavier Weaver, and Jimmy Horn Jr., those are wide receivers. 
Hunter and Horn have 11 receptions. Weaver has six. These guys are fast. They're high twitch. Travis Hunter also plays at defensive back, where he did collect one interception. And Travis Hunter also had three total tackles. Played several snaps for the majority of the game and minutes of the game, and he wasn't tired. One of the best athletes in the country, and I'd say right now the best all-purpose player in the nation. At defensive back as well, Colorado does have Trevor Woods, who's a great safety, and they do have depth at corner with Cormani McLean, who's a five-star corner. Of course, being a true freshman, he'll likely have some growing pains, but Colorado does have depth at corner, depth overall at defensive back, and at wide receiver too, when you have three 100-yard wide receivers already. That's impressive. And also Dylan Edwards, I know he's a running back, but great receiver out of the backfield, and he certainly gives Colorado an argument to potentially have the better running back room with his amazing athleticism, especially if Colorado ends up having a better rushing performance than Nebraska this weekend. The Huskers, however, in my mind, are better at running back, tight end, offensive line, defensive line, linebacker, and special teams. Nebraska has a great punter. They have a kicker who's a true freshman who is one of the best kickers in Nebraska football history. And at running back, they finally have playmakers there. In Gabe Irvin Jr., who had seven carries for 55 yards and averaged nearly eight yards per carry against a great Minnesota defense. Anthony Grant had nine carries for 27 yards, and Ramir Johnson only had one carry. But in 2021 and also 2022 against Iowa's defense, we did see some of his athleticism. Ramir Johnson is also more of a receiving type of running back, whereas Anthony Grant and Gabe Irvin Jr. are more traditional Big Ten bodies who can be used in more of a power back role. Jeff Sims as well, he's not a part of the running back room, but 6'4", 220 pounds, already has close to 100 rushing yards. He adds to Nebraska's running threat. At tight end, I like Nate Borkacher and Thomas Fedoni over what Colorado has at the position. Colorado barely used their tight ends, if at all, against TCU. Their starting tight end is Michael Harrison, and Michael Harrison only had two receptions for 12 yards, with a long of eight. And that's 12 yards at a 510 receiving yards. So you can tell that Colorado is a team that likes to be explosive, get on the perimeter, and their strength is throwing the football. I mean, they ran it 34 times for 55 yards. I think that's something where if you're Sean Lewis, I know that you want to keep a defense honest, but if you think you have a mismatch with your wide receivers, pass, 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 maybe run it on some short down situations where you you know that your interior O-line has enough power to pick up a yard or two. They did that a few times with Savion Williams and Dylan Edwards where they had two rushing touchdowns despite having only 55 rushing yards. They just power it forward on in the end zone or on some short yardage downs. But Nebraska tight end with Nate Borkacher, Thomas Fedoni, they have the better depth, bigger bodies, higher ceiling. Trench play is Nebraska all, all day. The offensive line, Nebraska is slightly better. And defensively, I think that they have players that Colorado right now would dream to have. Ty Robinson, Nash Huttmacher, and Blaze Gunnarsson 
along with MJ Sherman, Cameron Lenhart, Chief Borders, and others who are part of that three-man front and the jack position, part of the five-man, three-three-five, pardon me, part of the three-man linebacker group, sometimes is used as a fourth defensive lineman, as a pass rusher specifically. They have playmakers there that can stop the run, rush the passer far more efficiently than Colorado does. Nebraska, for example, against Minnesota, picked up three sacks, one from Reimer, one from Gunnarsson, one from Hutch, Huttmacher, and they also had a total of five tackles for loss, four passes defended. Nebraska overall has the better defense, and with Reimer, Sherman, Henrich, who Henrich didn't play against Minnesota, hopefully he'll be healthy for this game. I think it was a game-time decision against Minnesota, so I expect him to be back. Nebraska has the better defense. They're deeper at the trenches, also at linebacker, and they have the bigger, more efficient bodies in the run game, which helps them have a better rush attack. Colorado, on the other hand, does have the better passing offense. Pass defense in total, I don't necessarily know. I think that Colorado has the better secondary, but pass defense isn't just the secondary. It's also, for Nebraska, their front six being able to get pressure, and I think Huttmacher is a player to watch exactly for that reason. Not only is he someone who can stop the run, being a several-time wrestling champion in high school, big-bodied player, he can also get to the quarterback. And when he gets to the quarterback, it's rather violent. He had one sack, one solo tackle, four total tackles, and a tackle for loss against Minnesota. Last year, he had 15 total tackles, five solo, and he did not collect a single sack. So he got the first sack of his career. He's 6'4", 330 pounds, and a junior. He could go off in this game. He is going to be facing an offensive line that is much smaller and not as talented as Minnesota's, period, amen. Minnesota has the infinitely better offensive line, and I'd say even defensive line compared to Colorado, period. Case closed, end of story. He could have a huge game at defensive tackle, so watch out for the polar bear, as he's affectionately called. And for Travis Hunter, when you have a pick and a you know handful of tackles and then over four, not 400, but over 100 receiving yards... That's impressive. Definitely the nation's number one overall all-purpose player. 6'1", 185 pounds, freak athlete, number one recruit in the 2022 recruiting class. Longtime commit to Florida State, which is where Coach Prime went to school. And then Deion Sanders flipped him to go to Jackson State and play there with him. And he did for a year. He was an impressive player having 19 total tackles, eight passes defended, two picks, one of which was returned for six, and he also had 190 receiving yards for four receiving touchdowns there. He definitely is going to pass his receiving total and also his defensive totals and statistics this season at a Power 5 program in Colorado. The games that Colorado wins will be in large part due to Travis Hunter and Shadur Sanders, who are the most talented players on the roster. Shadur Sanders is another player to look out for. However, seeing that I expect this game to be more defensive, as I think that Nebraska is a much better defense, bigger, 
more physical defense to be specific than TCU does, I think that defense might be a bigger factor in this game, will be a bigger factor in this game than it was when Colorado took the field to play TCU on the road. And speaking of which, here's my prediction for this game, and it is going to be more defensive. Colorado beat TCU in a shootout 45-42. to And it's even more of a shootout when you realize that the clock change rules happened, and that takes away only six, seven plays. But it takes away plays and consequentially an average of a small amount of points per game, of course. This game will be more defensive. I think that Nebraska will be able, will have no problem getting into Colorado territory. The problem will be against Minnesota, like, like how it was against Minnesota to be specifically, where for both teams, actually, when they got in opponent territory, either turnovers or for Minnesota, Nebraska just stopped them. I think that both of these offenses likely will have problems with each other's defense when they get deeper and deeper into opponent territory. Neither of these teams, for for Nebraska, it was obvious they're not a red zone efficient offense. For Colorado, you don't even know. They faced a defense that was so terrible that I want them to face a defense that matters. And I think Nebraska's defense matters. And I think that Nebraska's the better team than TCU right now. I, I wouldn't have said that in the preseason, but right now I think that's the case. They have a key matchup advantage, owning the trenches, having, in my mind, the better run game, being able to control the game. And Shadur Sanders will not have as easy of a time with his wide receivers being open and making those throws against vulnerable defensive backs like he did against TCU. Nebraska has defensive backs, and they have linebackers. I didn't think that I would say these things, but after the Minnesota game, it's very clear that Omar Brown, Quentin Newsom, Deshaun Singleton, who had a sort of a breakout game against the Golden Gophers, Malcolm Hartzog, Isaac Gifford, that's a gifted group of defensive backs, of safeties and corners and, and hybrids. At linebacker, if Henrich is healthy, that's going to be big. He's definitely a leader of this defense, being a redshirt junior. He brings experience. He was described last year by Joel Klatt against Oklahoma as the computer of the defense. Very important leader. And if he's back and healthy for this game, and he should be, but I don't know exactly if he will be, that would be big for this defense. And then the defensive line was the most impressive part for me about Nebraska against Minnesota. They showed out, collected several tackles for loss, a handful of sacks, and were a part of some key stops and momentum-swinging plays as well. So Nebraska brings a much more impressive defense. Their offense, I don't think, is as good as TCU's, but I do think they have a better running back room than TCU does. And as long as Nebraska can situationally pass, but mostly run. That was something that Kendall Bryles didn't do. He waited to run the football until later in the game. Well, by that point, Colorado had already established momentum. They already were believing in themselves, which only fueled a team that's already on fire because any team with Deion Sanders will be playing with their heads on fire. And at that point, 
too little, too late. And even when TCU ran the ball, there were some questionable run calls, and Chandler Morris was not a good decision maker. Throwing two picks, one of which was an awesome play by Travis Hunter, another was just an ill-advised throw in the end zone that Trevor Woods, a defensive back for Colorado, caught, and that just made Colorado further believe. I think that the Cornhuskers are going to have motivation. They're going to have a fire lit below them, and with the key matchup advantages, that's going to be critical in their 34-28 to point win. They'll have 250 or more rushing yards, just like TCU, and like TCU, they will also have four or more sacks. The difference is TCU was able to get home sometimes with pressure, but if they didn't sack Shadur Sanders, they would give up big passing plays. Nebraska has a better secondary. Their linebacker core has questions about defending the run, as we've seen from prior years. And Minnesota, with their smaller running backs and also with some of their own kickoff jitters, we don't know how good Nebraska's front six is at handling the run quite yet. But they're better than previous years, and Colorado can't run the football. They have a very hard time at doing that. And Luke Reimer and Nick Henrich have a reputation of being far better at defending the pass than defending the run, which works perfectly against an offense in Colorado that wants to pass the football, they want to be quick, they want to use RPOs, and against a defense that's bigger, more physical, but also that's just more disciplined, especially at secondary. I mean, just watch. I know that Ethan Kaliak-Manis is not Shadur Sanders, but the way that they did not allow any of Minnesota's wide receivers to get separation outside of that 4th and 10 is crazy. I don't believe in curses either. I just believe in good coaching, bad coaching, good players, bad players. And Nebraska has a better head coach and a better coaching staff, clearly, in my mind, than they have easily for the past six, seven, eight years. Now, Coach Prime is elite skill players. He's a great coach, and he has a great staff as well. Charles Kelly was a big part of the recruiting job. And, um, what, what do you call it? My bad. He was a big-time recruiter at Alabama, a big part of their recruiting process and culture and building that defense there. Charles Kelly was. And Sean Lewis at Kent State was an innovator on offense really good offensive coordinator, and especially knew how to develop and utilize his quarterbacks and wide receivers. So this isn't knocking on Colorado at all. To have this kind of transformation, beat TCU, and then lose to Nebraska by not even double digits. I was tempted to have Nebraska win by 10, but I think that Colorado was also going to be motivated. The coaching staffs being similar and Colorado being at home also helps Colorado have the ability to keep this close, and at times they are going to lead as well. This will be a competitive game, a great game, one that comes down to the fourth quarter, but I think ultimately Nebraska's consistency in the run game and reliability on defense and special teams gives them the edge over Colorado, who is sort of a boom or bust team, who's great. Shadur Sanders, I think, will have, you know, these 28 points will be because of Shadur Sanders, in my mind. He'll still put up great numbers, have a good game, but Nebraska, when it counts, will be able to stop Colorado. And I think that gives them the edge. So 34-28, 
Nebraska comes away with the first win of the season and finally a win over a top 25 college football team. Thank you guys for watching this video. I appreciate all of you. And I also appreciate support from my patrons, Spencer Bringhurst, who's an All-American, and Will Loftus, Gabriel Callender, Roaming Gnome, and Matthew Sale, who are my all-conference patrons. Join the community if you want to. You don't have to. There is extra content, bonus content, depending on the tier. And regardless of your tier, your name will be shouted out at the end of the video. So check out my link for my Patreon in the link below. And comment your thoughts on this game. Like this video. Tell me what you think about my breakdown and analysis. And Colorado proved me wrong last week beating TCU. Nebraska played much closer than I anticipated. I'm just excited to see a great week of college football. And there's so much chaos already with Duke crushing Clemson, Florida State crushing LSU, and look, I think that Nebraska beating Colorado, not only does it make logical sense from a matchup standpoint, but that would be chaos if you really think about it. Have a great day, guys.